Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, December 13th, 2020. Look, we are going to jump right into the word today, so you're going to want to turn to Matthew chapter 22. Oh, yeah. Today, we're going to give you a survey. Somebody say survey. Survey. We're going to give you an overview. We're going to give you a picture of what Matthew 22, 23, 24, and 25 cover today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. While we are focusing our attention in the book of Matthew, what's going to happen is we are going to reference, we're going to refer to, we're going to quote from, we're going to direct your attention to every single area of the Bible. You're going to hear from the law, you're going to hear from the prophets, you're going to hear from the writings in both the Older and Newer Testament, all while you are staying focused in the book of Matthew. Come on, it is, we are ready for a good day. Y'all ready for this? Matthew 22. Starting in verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Oh, this should start bringing back to remembrance of what we preached last Sunday about a wedding story. You guys remember this? Come on. In this chapter of Matthew, Jesus addresses this topic in his last public address. He is heading to the cross very, very soon. And what he's talking about is this, this banquet, this wedding banquet that's prepared by the Father, is that part of this is that invitations begin to go out. And it's been given to those who have been invited saying that it is time to come and celebrate this union of the bride and groom becoming one. Well, not everyone who was invited actually responded, but they responded pretty poorly. They paid no attention, but I couldn't help but read this with Pastor Wade, and something just began to to remind us of a, a recent event. Wedding invitations that went out somewhere around the month of, what was it, August and uh, September, maybe before that. Many invitations were sent out. It's true. But not everyone responded that said that they were going to attend. (laughs) Much like in Jesus' day, many people ignored our invitations to a wedding. (laughs) The truth is, church, is that some, even if they didn't ignore, they they weren't armed with presents. I mean, armed with evidence that the king was... Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you realize we want you to understand something that is, that is a larger context here? This is Jesus' last sermon. It's his last public address to the people. He's there in the temple area. He's speaking with people, and he wants them to know something important. Yeah. That the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding. What would that make you think about? Do you immediately get serious? Do you, does your spiritual uh, uh, solemnity come upon you? Oh, oh, it's a wedding. No, you're like, really? There's a wedding? You mean, you mean like Gabriel and Olivia Stevens that got married? Do you mean yeah. like Gabriel and Na- there's a wedding coming? Come on now. You mean that Treaster might put on that red velvet coat again for us? Ooh, yeah. What? It's time. I can't wait. I have no idea what Treaster may do to his beard this time. It's incredible. (laughs) Jesus, in his last statement to a group of people, his last sermon, he's getting up and saying, I got you. You guys got to get this. You got to understand what I'm about to say to you. I'm going to speak to you in a way to give you a spiritual understanding based on something that you understand and you love. 
something that should bring happiness and joy to your heart immediately, just thinking about it. Church, these people here that were first invited, they, uh, they didn't come, but what the Lord did was he was finding people who would deserve to come, who would find the right clothing and put it on so they were, had the dress, they had the garments of those who were anointed. It's almost like we should refer back to Revelation 5, 6, 7, and Revelation 19 to find out that those that had to be clothed with righteousness... They had to be clothed with white garments of righteous deeds. By the way, the whole point of the Bible. Y'all ready for this? You're, I mean, y'all aren't ready for this. Y'all laughing. I'm like, I'm, the whole point of the Bible is basically a bridal makeover. Yeah, it is. Extreme. An extreme makeover. Yes. That the Lord is making a bride that is fit for himself. Oh. That he is able to present this bride unto himself. It's almost like there's a metamorphosis that's needed from where we're starting but where we're going to end up. See, the Lord has some important things for us today. It is going to be a good day. Look down at verse 14 in Matthew 22. Verse 14 says, For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is right to the point. It's declaring that the Father has put out a call but the ones that responded rightly showed up with the right kind of clothes. Man, this should start bringing back to remembrance of what we've been studying in the book of Revelation. Every time that you see someone that is adorned in a white robe, these are the righteous deeds of the saints. But the manner by which they acquired those righteous deeds, it was acquired through the means of difficulty. So we covered these series in Revelation 5, 6, 7, and culminating in 19. Well, that leads us to something that is being declared in this wedding story that is the end goal of what we're rejoicing about. It's a very simple point. I want you guys to get this. Write this down any means that you can at this moment. Those who commit to the attitude and lifestyle that difficulties develop the divine, you will be part of that wedding story adorned, robed in white, righteous linens, able to display the glory of your groom becoming just like him. That difficulties develop the divine. In fact, we have a slide that shows this. Come on, say that with us. Difficulties develop the divine. It's okay, you aren't ready. It's all right. We're going to say it again. Say it with me. You ready? Difficulties develop the divine. Come on now. What we're going to understand today. See, the problem in Matthew 22 and the problem in the kingdom is not that there wasn't an invitation. Right. The problem wasn't that the people weren't invited. There wasn't a problem with the calling that went out. It was clear. It was a clarion call that went out. The problem is always those that don't want to be transformed into the bride, into what the groom is. They don't want to be armed with evidence. They don't want to be clothed with deeds of righteousness. But that's not us in this room today. Oh. Come on now. You think you need to reach out to people better if only they understood more about the kingdom. Jesus goes, the kingdom is like a wedding. Get dressed up and come to the wedding. Oh, amen. I, I think we can all grasp that. He's saying this in a way. And while there's beautiful complexity, it's not in what Jesus is saying here. He's saying there's a call that went out. And the difference between those that are there and enjoying the presence of God Almighty are those that understand that difficulties develop the divine inside of you. 
that you're able to embrace these, but you're gonna do more than just embrace them. You're gonna embrace them with a smile. You're gonna embrace them with joy. Oh, come on, Pastor. Come on. This is a deep theological concept that we're soaking in right now. Our intellectual engine is on overdrive, right? No, it's simple. Everybody right now, put a big old smile on your face. Andrew, put a smile on your face. You got a reason, many reasons to put a smile on your face. It's hard. He's got to pull up the whole beard Come on, let me see you, Susie. Big old smile. Show me teeth. Marlon, I can see you against that wooden wall really easily now. I'm talking about this is the standard of the kingdom that when we see this slide it says difficulties develop the divine this is a reason to rejoice Amen. this is the way that we become the the uh, just like the groom adorned with fine linen adorned with righteous deeds look we are called to go through the difficulty but we're more importantly called to go through difficulty with joy radiating from our face like this yeah just like, like that like baby this. Church, the point of a wedding story is what? It's the point of this biblical wedding story is that a bride becomes like her groom. Yes. That the two become one. Can somebody say amen? Amen. They become one in purpose. They, be one, they become one in the nature that they have, in their calling. The two become one. You're not two separate people walking side by side. You have a singular purpose. Yes. And part of that purpose is to produce life. Come on now. Part of the purpose of a wedding is that it doesn't just stay the two. It stays the two become one and they begin to have offspring that they then move to me just like them. So the bride is supposed to be like the groom and then together they make children that become like them. This is what the kingdom is about and that's why Jesus begins and say, it's about a wedding story, y'all. I gotta be honest with you. I'm not even used to the fact that our eldest children are married yet. I mean, this was in September, and I'm like, I know it. But then I'm like, my son, is, he's married. And then you know what happens? They get pregnant. What? How did that happen? No, I know exactly how that happened. <laughs> Lord, help us. <laughs> behave. All of you, behave. I, t- I text my brother and my sister-in-law, and I'm like, hey, you're going to be an uncle. I text my brother about my son's children, say, you're going to be an uncle. And his wife goes, don't you mean great uncle? I was like, yes, I lost an entire generation in that. I'm barely getting used to that, but isn't that the point? The point is that you begin to produce life, and it is so joyous. We're so happy. We're so excited because we understand in that small picture in one singular family, we understand a much larger context, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying that your difficulties are going to help develop the divine in you. Can you imagine? Come on, start thinking about a birthing process. Okay, stop thinking about the birthing process. Don't go, yeah. That may not have been the best uh, idea. Uh, 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 no, nah, uh, forget uh. it. There are difficulties that are there to develop something. Yes. The difficulties in our life are supposed to develop the divine. And what we get to do is we get to focus on the joy, on, on what those difficulties develop. If you're a mom in here, and during your pregnancy, you're constantly walking around like this. We will all rebuke you. 
well, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Be normal. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Why would it be any, any different for the difficulties that you're in now? Pastor, I'm having a tough week. Pastor, I'm producing life. The Lord is... <laughs> yes, you are. Yes. Why? Because the difficulties in you are developing something divine. Yeah. It's the only way that it's going to happen. I'm sorry that your body hurts, Mom, but this is what it takes to develop life inside of you. And you shouldn't feel sorry for yourself. You should say, I'm producing life. Yeah. Amen. Not everybody can do this. Look at the life that's being produced in me. Because difficulties are developing something divine, even in the womb of a mother. How much more should we be joyous today at what God is developing inside of us? You know what, saints? When, when I look at Gabe and Natalie, and I, I see Natalie walking around, and she looks like she's been on a Stairmaster for about 10 hours. And that's the first hour of her week. I see that. I see that as a means of rejoicing. I look at the difficulty she's going through, and I'm able to smile from ear to ear that my, my daughter is producing life. I know that what is to be is a grandson or grandchild that will, will come about that Son. we'll be able to rejoice about. And I see it now, but it's in the process. So put this back in perspective of where we are in Matthew. In the end of Matthew 22... There are constant attempts of entrapment upon Jesus. They want to question him about paying taxes, about marriage at the resurrection, about what is the greatest commandment, about Messiah and whose son is he. Jesus is walking through a progression that, and through these chapters, he is going to address the leadership's condition. And he's going to give seven woes in Matthew 23. But remember, they're always being aimed at a goal of producing life. That he's addressing the issues in the moment, but he's going to conclude with what kind of leadership Israel will have and the kind of stewardship of what's been promised to them. Let's take a look at this slide. We're going to summarize a lot of chapter 23 here on a singular slide. Y'all ready? ready for this? There are seven woes that are going on here. We need to pay attention because the, those that don't want difficulties in their lives, those that don't understand that difficulties are developing the divine, can put yourself in a similar situation to what these people did. And here's what Jesus begins. And by the way, everybody say, whoa. Whoa. Where's David Bonham? Bonham. Where you at, man? Say, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. whoa. Now, we're not talking the sound that you say when you're trying to get a horse to stop when you're out at the Powell Ranch. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. We're not talking about the sound that you're making to try to stop a horse. This woe, let me, let me say it for you, and I need everybody to be put on your grown-up ears for a second. Okay? What Jesus is saying is that God is damning you. That the God of all creation is damning you for these things, and these are examples of what's going on. Well, that puts it into different light when we're understanding this, right? Yeah. What does he say to them? What is this in chapter this entire chapter about? First of all, he says, Hey, you guys, you're slamming the door on people who are trying to get into the kingdom. You won't go in and you're keeping them out. They become devilish doorkeepers. And Jesus is saying, God is damning you for this. Whoa. 
Oh, now it makes sense. They begin to go across land and sea. They go across the world to make a single convert, but they turn that single convert into twice the child of the devil that they are. God is damning them for this. Can somebody say, whoa? They begin to swear by the gold that's put on the altar and not the altar itself. They begin to swear by the gift that's on the altar and not the altar. They're not swearing by the God who makes it holy. They're swearing according to the thing that they're giving. They're looking at the monetary part of it and putting that as the important thing and they're misunderstanding what God's holiness is all about. They're misrepresenting his name. Their sacred swearing is off. And God is damning them for this. Somebody say, whoa. Whoa. These guys are tithing traitors. They are tithing out of their spice rack. They're going up and getting the mint and the cumin and the dill. And they're tithing off of what they have received. And yet they're missing the important things, the salient things. They're becoming salient slackers because they are not addressing justice and mercy and faithfulness. Say that with me. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Wow, Micah 6.8 should be coming to mind and just ringing in your ears. What does the Lord require of you? That you act justly, love mercy, and walk faithfully or walk humbly with your God. Jesus is saying this. I promise you that if you're reading through this, you're hearing the entire scope of the Bible as he's speaking. He's condemning them for it. Think about the contaminated cup. Anybody left a coffee in your cup too long and you went back and thought it was clean and you look on the inside? Jesus is saying, you guys will clean the outside of the cup, but you're not cleaning the inside. You've got contaminated cups. And he's saying, this is a problem. Woe unto you for this. You're ready to clean up the outside of your life, but you're not at all concerned about cleaning up the inside. I spoke with a young man this morning. Pastor, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor when I grow up. I said, Amen. Let's start talking about, I didn't use these words, but let's talk about cleaning the inside of your cup so that you don't experience the woe that is here. Speaking of things that are yucky on the inside, let's talk about a whitewashed wickedness, a whitewashed tomb that you guys are like. You look good on the outside, but you got dead man's bones on the inside. Somebody say, whoa. Whoa. And then he says, speaking of tombs, you take care of the tombs of the prophets And you say that if we would have been in that generation, we would have never killed the prophets. That was our fathers that did that. And Jesus says, yep, you're right. It was your fathers. You're right. You're just like your father. Think about this in the Hebrew culture. Yes, they are natural descendants, but they are acting just like it. And he says, as a matter of fact, I'm going to bring all the blood on your head, all the way from Abel to Zechariah. I'm bringing it all on this generation. Can somebody say, whoa? Whoa. Now, that's heavy. That's heavy, but what we want you to remember is that Jesus is speaking to them because Jesus is going to have a bride. He's going to have a bride who wants the metamorphosis, who wants the transformation, who wants the difficulties because you know that they develop the divine in you. These people would not. They would stay away from it. They pushed away from it. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I am going to have a bride. I am going to have a family that looks just like me. You need to understand what's going on so that you'll never become these things. This is not you, LCM. 
This is not who we are. We're talking to you just so you can see it and understand what Jesus Christ is doing here. Saints, I want you to look at this list again. When we see this list, you don't need to see it as heavy. You need to see it in the light of rejoicing. And here's why. These are the very things that Jesus is addressing in the leadership that he will change. These are going to be the things that he transforms in the leadership of Israel and inside of us to bring about a righteousness from each one of these. And watch this. When instead of devilish doorkeepers, instead you have divine doorkeepers. You have those that know and manage the entry into God's presence and that are right with him and help others approach him. Then instead of having condemned converts, you have consecrated, Holy Ghost-filled converts. You begin to see righteousness that can come as a result of addressing and dealing with these, these things for the purpose of bringing about transformation, metamorphosis. Instead of sacred, square, sacred swearing on the gold of the temple, you have those that are swearing on the presence of God that resides in the temple. That's the true divinity. Tithing traders and salient slackers. Now you have those that are giving as cheerful givers. Giving out of even their, their lack. Like the, the woman who gave her mina. Those that are faithfully pouring out all their lives. Instead of contaminated cups, you have consecrated cups. Those that are washed and clean and sanctified, ready for God's use. Whitewashed wickedness turns into the tombs of the righteous. You have markers that declare the righteous ones will rise out of this place. And lastly, instead of desecrated descendants, you have the generations of the righteous. That what began inside of you as a means of transformation is going to resound from one to another to another generation that's out there. So that's how we're able to see these chapters of Matthew in the light of rejoicing and not as something that's a burden. A difficulty that we can rejoice over because it's going to develop the divine. Let's take a look at verse 37 in chapter 23. We've just summarized the first 36 verses of chapter 23 for you in a single slide. Now let's look at 37 as Jesus concludes this thought and shifts into another. The the concluding thought is this. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Church, Jesus is saying, hey, you and your fathers have always been this way, but I have a different intent. He didn't leave them in this. What did Jesus do? Jesus said, you know what my intent is? My intent is to gather you. My intent is to draw you. My intent is to woo you into a marriage. Instead of giving you woes, he's trying to woo you. He's trying to get you close. And that's always been the intent. God's intent has always been to birth life. Somebody say life. Life. It's always been intent, his intent to birth life from the tohu vavohu inside of us. Anybody understand what chaos is like on the inside of you? My goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you can't put, that that my thoughts cannot yet be translated up into a screen before you all. Aren't you glad about that? Yes. Aren't you glad people can't see when you're smiling on the outside and, and totally chaotic on the inside? I am so glad because it's always his desire to draw you. 
to hover over you with his spirit and draw you close and create life, to create order from the chaos that's inside of us. That's what he uses the difficulties to do. He uses those difficulties to develop something divine in you. When you've had chaotic thoughts and your mind is now in order, you're now operating in the mind of Christ, there is nothing more divine than that. When your emotions have been ruling you and they're in order and you're at peace, not just on the outside but on the inside, what is more divine than that inside of you as the Holy Spirit is working? Come on now, this is an important concept for us to get this morning. When Pastor, I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I just, I got stuck there for a minute. When Pastor was saying instead of the woes, 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 he said the woo, woo, woos. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm thinking about that, that means by which uh, I acquired Miss Cassidy. Oh. Uh, something to the tune of like a song goes, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> <laughs> that God's call is that he wants to draw us close. And you see the imagery here that Jesus is using, like a hen wants to gather her chicks. But it's also in contrast or in conjunction with the word desolate. Your house has been left desolate. So for a later study another time, come and talk to me and Pastor Wade about the combination of a hen gathering her chicks and desolate in the word tohu vavohu. But what this should also evoke is Jeremiah 26, 8 through 9. We're just going to reference in here. That in Jeremiah 26, he's referencing a desolate house. So whenever the disciples are hearing him say this, it's bringing to mind of the last thing that happened in that temple area. That God was bringing about a destruction, but was aimed at a purpose about bringing life, not just destruction itself. Church, this is what Jesus is referencing. He's referencing almost directly quoting from Jeremiah 26, 8 and 9. And what they wanted to do to Jeremiah, which was kill him, is what they end up wanting to do to Jesus as well. See, but the truth is, is let's take it from the book of Jeremiah and Matthew and let's put it in our lives right now. Church, your houses may have started in chaos. Can anybody say amen to that? Mm -hmm. Your lives may have started in chaos, but that's not what's going to happen to you. Your house won't be left desolate. Why? Because you are becoming the purified, empowered bride of Christ. You're armed with the evidence. Through what? Through the suffering, through the trials, through the difficulties that are in your life. Those are the affirmation. Those are the evidence that what's going on inside of you is real, is that you're being transformed. And look at what Jesus does. He does the exact same thing that we're talking about here. You ready? Let's look at verse 39 together in Matthew 23. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I want you to see the encouragement. After everything that has just been spoken in chapter 22 and chapter 23, we're coming to the point where he is saying, you will not see me again until... There is a chance. So you're there is a certainty it's going to happen, right? <laughs> and he is actually quoting from Psalm 118. It's 118, uh, verse 26. But before we, we dive into that, just a show of hands. How many people have difficulty in this room right now, right? Difficulty. Now keep your hands up. In addition to that, I want you to put a big smile on your face. And we're going to shout hallelujah because we're rejoicing in what the difficulties develop. Hallelujah! You can put your hand down now. When we're looking at this passage and how Jesus is instructing his disciples on how to respond to these things, 
It's with the ability to rejoice that he is going to return and fix everything. That the difficulties are developing the, the divine inside of them, inside of Israel, and will reach into the whole globe. So let's pull up this slide. We want to walk through it with you. Before we walk through the slide, I, want you, I just want to catch something really quickly. In this singular two or three verses that Jesus just quoted, he's talking to you and he references Genesis. The hovering. He almost directly quotes Jeremiah 26, and then he directly quotes Psalm 118. He speaks and lightly hints at the law. He almost directly quotes, and clearly everyone understands what he is saying from Jeremiah. And then he directly quotes from the psalm. That's law, prophet, writings, and three verses that Jesus is doing. And he's speaking to them in Jerusalem. What took place in Genesis for a worldwide thing has now been focused in the city of Jerusalem, in the temple itself, in the very heartbeat of God. <laughs> Some of the Jewish sages say that, that the foundation of, of, of Jerusalem is the foundation stone from which the entire world was built. See, Jesus is bringing it down to a clear point, and he's saying, hey, until. Somebody say until. until. So you're saying there's a chance. You are going to quote from Psalm 118. You are going to say this to me. How do we know? How do we know that Jesus is still yet to return? Because he is speaking here to the Jewish leaders, quoting law, prophet, and writing, and say, this is going to happen. This won't happen, rather, until. Somebody say until. Until. Come on now. Leadership of Israel has never said this to, to him. They've never said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It hasn't. You almost have to leave behind that kind of fictional thought. You almost have to leave behind that desolate nature that might cause these things. See, he hasn't arrived until we want to say this. Look at this. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Can anybody say difficulties develop the divine? The stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. See, that difficulty, the rejection, is what caused him to be the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Hey, church, you know what a good thought for us today is? Let us rejoice today and be glad. Not somewhere off in the future, not when your difficulties end, but let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. In the name of the Lord. Jesus is quoting. He's quoting from the Psalms. Keep going. We bless you. Your light is shining. It's like a big festival. His love endures forever. We could take time and go through this, but I think you can see by the slide that's on the screen. This is intending to be a joyous thing. And so in the midst of difficult conversations, Jesus is sprinkling. He's having undertone. He is saying that the heartbeat of it all is that there is joy that we must engage with. Blessed is he who comes. It's right to rejoice today, church. It's right to be glad today. It's right to pick up your head and to pick up the corners of your mouth and go, this is awesome because it's developing something in me that could not get there anywhere else. Man, do you guys love Psalm 118? See, Jesus is standing in the temple and he's going through this. He's quoting Psalm 118 whose author is David. David. 
David is the prototype. He is the model through by which he is declaring the ability to praise in the midst of difficulties because they're developing the divine. Come on, David was the man who transitioned from Adullam to Jerusalem through the means of difficulty. What was once in a cave with a band of uh, rebels, a band of men who didn't have anywhere else to go. They were wrecked. They were wrecked. They were emptied of themselves and they needed to be filled with a hope that came from a king. They found the resolve in David to rejoice and transition from that cave of Adullam right into the throne of God there in Jerusalem. And here's the hope. Just as it happened for David, it also happened for David's son, the Messiah. And as it happens for David's son, the Messiah, it will also happen for the Messiah's groom. That's us, the bride. Difficulties develop the divine. First for Jesus. Say that. First for Jesus. First for Jesus. And then for his bride. Say, then for his bride. Then for his bride. This is a hope for you and me standing here right now that we can look at his life, Jesus' life, and also David's. If there was difficulty in them that they must go through, we see the end by which it would have produced. Well, it's almost like Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus is heard because of his reverent submission. He learned through what he suffered. He had to go through these things because it revealed the divinity that he had. In us, it is developing the, the, the divinity that we must have. See, church, as we're doing this, these are heavy chapters. These are serious, kind of imposing chapters that we're reading through. But can you hear the tone that must be had by true believers? The tone that's underneath us that says, yes, this is what's happening, and I must display joy. If Jesus is speaking and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, come on, it's time to rejoice today and be glad. It's time to understand you can't just endure the difficulties. That is not the goal of Christianity. Well, just we're not even saying to you today just to grin and bear it. We're saying to do exactly what Jesus Christ did, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. If he endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him, how are you gonna endure your difficulties? The exact same way, through the joy that's before you. We've talked to you about Matthew 22 and Matthew 23. Let's turn to the next verse and see the very first verse in Matthew 24. So Matthew 22, Jesus is speaking to the crowd. He's speaking in his last sermon. In Matthew 23, he's giving his last instructions or rebuke to the leadership. In Matthew 24, he's giving his last teaching to his disciples. In Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Let's take a look at verse 1 of Matthew 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, having stood there myself at the eastern gate, exiting through the Kidron Valley, then coming up to where the Mount of Olives is, I know exactly what this would, would look like. There, Jesus has been teaching in the temple. He is leaving. The disciples are, are closely trailing behind him, and they're, 
They're pointing to the very thing that he just got through speaking to its leaders about. What? What about can, Jesus? You see all these things? And he, in rabbi fashion, he turns and says, do you see all these things? <laughs> what you see is the present, but what he sees is the future. See, what you see in your present day sufferings, he sees in the future glory that will be. See, when God's plan begins to get revealed to us, we can find that ability to rejoice in the midst of difficulties. Because just like it was for Jerusalem, it is also for us. We're going to see the divine being developed within us. But it takes our ability to trust in Mashiach's leading. That revelation that he wants to give us. Because he's looking to birth something inside of us. That the birthing process involves difficulties, but it's something to rejoice about because it's actually going to bring about life, something that comes from divine. Come on, the goal of this is always life to be brought forth. Let's look at verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. Okay, so let us help you in case you haven't been there to Jerusalem with us yet. Yet. So you're saying there's a chance. Yes. Jesus is in the temple area. He's preaching his last sermon. He's rebuking the leadership. They begin to walk out, and there's probably tons of people around. The disciples are going, hey, hey, Jesus, you just quoted from Jeremiah. They're going to want to kill you. Hey, uh, do you see the temple there, Jesus? See the temple complex that we were just standing in? Do you see it? They continue walking for just a few minutes, and Jesus sits down on the Mount of Olives. This is a 10-minute walk. Yeah, easy. Okay? Think 10-minute walk. So we are traversing from where he was, and 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, Jesus is sitting down on the Mount of Olives. The disciples come to him privately. Look, now that we're not around the big crowds, tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming? What is in the sign of the end of the age? He's sitting on the Mount of Olives, which, by the way, since you are Bible scholars, you know this already. He's sitting on the place where he will later ascend after. After the resurrection, he ascends from the Mount of Olives. And where does he come back from? On the Mount of Olives. I imagine that Jesus is literally sitting in the exact spot where he's going to be ascended and where he will descend with the voice and the sound of the, the trump of God calling and he will put his feet here that Zechariah speaks to us about. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives. Yeah, I'm sure it's a random spot. And what happens? Now that we're away from everybody, we have three questions for you. We put it on a slide so you can see it and grasp it here. They said, when will this happen? Somebody say when. when. What will be the sign of your coming? Somebody say sign. sign. What will be the sign of the end of the age? Somebody say end of the age. End of the age. You got three good questions. They're sitting there. They've heard everything that Jesus just said. They realize that he is quoting and referencing scripture after scripture after scripture. It's almost like he is the word of God and he has the word of God. Yes. They're going, you got to tell us. I want to tell you that Matthew 24 and 25, we could take this a couple of different ways. I can tell you the ways that we're not going to take it. Some people are looking at this for technicalities. Yep. Consider how many prophetic voices, quote unquote, prophetic voices we have in our day and time. Clamoring, giving specific details that aren't actually occurring. Consider the vast number of books written on the subject of the end times. Matthew 24, Matthew 25. 
Here are books that are unlimited about this, each trying to show more technical proficiencies than the one before. Jesus isn't as worried about these things. He's going to be technically correct. Can somebody say amen? Amen. He's not going to miss one little detail here, but he's directing something in their hearts. He's directing his disciples. He's directing them of something that must take place inside of them. The entirety of Matthew in 24 and 25 is a single teaching. It's one thought that he's working through. He's going through and he's answering questions, but he's teaching them something about what must take place in them. All the books in the world, church, all the books in the world won't help you on the inside because you're just looking at them if they're only viewed as technical manuals. See, they're not going to produce in you what is required, but our great Savior, this groom is forming his bride rightly here in these passages. And the disciples ask three questions. You know, what, what Jesus is giving them whenever he's going through Matthew 24 and 25 is what must soon take place in them through the means of metamorphosis, through transformation. That's his goal. So whenever these guys are asking these questions, this is just like any of us. We're looking for a tangible means to understand the end goal of God. Well, as we were looking at these three questions, it did bring to mind where we started in Matthew 22. Remember, it was a parable about a father giving a wedding banquet for his son. So these are three questions that pop up whenever someone says that they're engaged. When will this happen? When will the wedding actually happen? Right? That's what normally happens. The girl walks up. She's got the ring. Yeah, I've been engaged. And it sounds just like that, by That's the way. exactly the same. Yes. Spot on. But isn't that the question that everyone has? When is the wedding going to happen? Right? And then the conversation ensues between all the ladies of what exactly is going to be the contents of the wedding. How's it going to be developed? What color? What flowers? And all these different amenities, right? And then, once that's all developed, where are you guys going to have your honeymoon? Right? Where, where's this all going to end whenever you guys are becoming one? In every way. Amen. We celebrate it. But remember, this is just the beginning. That what Jesus is giving them is the answer, but it's answering the end goal of what's going to happen. The the bride becoming just like the groom. See, God instills these things in us because he wants us to ask the right kind of questions because he wants to give us the right kind of answers. Well, the wedding is only the beginning of that transformation process. Remember, Pastor Way said earlier, it doesn't start or end with the wedding. The wedding is just the beginning of what yet is to come about. So first comes love, then comes marriage. Ah, then comes life. Amen. Then comes baby with the baby carriage. After you start talking about a wedding, what does the immediate think? Hey, we're, we're pregnant now. Oh, hallelujah. That's great. When's the due date? When will this happen? When is this going to happen? <laughs> if you're a first-time mom, you're like, what are going to be the signs of this baby coming? Tell me about the labor process. There are entire books called What to Expect When You Are Expecting. <laughs> Every, my, every Amazon order comes for that. Oh, God. Oh, God. What is going to be the sign? What is this going to look like? And what will be the sign right at the end of this that actually life is coming forth? See, there's something that's going on in the hearts of the disciples, and they're trying to figure this out just like you and I would. And Jesus is so good to answer. I want to reference Galatians 4 and verse 19 with you. 
When you understand these things, it puts the scriptures in a different light. When Paul says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Are you with me here? You think it's just a random homiletic that Paul's picking here? He's saying that to produce life in any area is very similar to what it takes for childbirth. Paul hasn't had a baby. Thank you. Thank you, Captain Obvious. He's using something to tell you what it feels like in him. How long must I be in child pain? How long must I have these pains? Until the child is born. How How long must I go through this? I don't know, ladies, about 40 weeks or until the baby comes. That's how long. How long do we have to do this? But see, Paul is getting at something else here that you got to understand in context of the entire book of Galatians. These people are there and he's saying, hey, 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 whoa. (laughs) He's saying, what happened to all your joy? Are you being so foolish now as to try to finish in the flesh what began in the spirit? Hey, who cut in on you? You were running a good race. What happened to you? There was something that is different about you now. Yeah, yeah, you're enduring difficulties, but you don't have the joy. Let me tell you what kind of joy you should have. It's like me having pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's saying something important. We're going to put it on a slide. Don't put it up yet. We're going to put it on a slide where we're going in this for this sermon here. Are you with us? You got to get this. Paul is saying it, and I want everybody to get it. On the screen. It says, difficulties demand the display of joy because of what they develop in you. Difficulties, me, demand. Difficulties the display of joy in you. This is better than just grinning and bearing it and engage with and going, I'm not making a smile. I'm demanding that I have the attitude where if Paul was here, he wouldn't be like, what's going on? It's in your bank account. You got something left. True story. Told this to some of you. We were living in Austin. We were short a month. We were struggling. We couldn't have been working any harder for the Lord. And we were upside down every month. Our expenses were more than the money we were actually making. Struggling. We're, we're doing these things. We're trusting in the Lord. Got us through. There was this one month in particular. And we pay our last bill. And we calculate it. And in our bank account. True story. One penny. Amen. We wept and cried. We have won. Paid it all, and we got something left. We danced around. It brings tears to my eyes now because I was like, I won. You got to start having some some 
a display of joy in your life because you're going, we're winning in this church. You are winning. It's difficult. Yeah, but you're still standing, so you're winning. Let the joy of the Lord be upon you. Rejoice this day and be glad. Yeah, but I've been fighting with my spouse. Yeah, but you still love each other. You are winning. Difficulties at the workplace. Yeah, but you're still overcoming. You are winning. You got to understand this. The difficulties demand not that you have joy. Not that somewhere in the end, when all is said and done, we will have a slight display and a slight smile will be upon us. Difficulties demand that you display the joy that God has already put inside of you and the joy that you must have in every situation. Uh, Think about what you're declaring to the heavenly realms whenever you display with joy what's being developed in you in the midst of difficulties. Come on, they're looking down and expecting you to be somber, to be overwhelmed, drowning and wallowing in despair. But when you lift up your heads and you begin to put a big smile on your face and you say, Lord, thank you for giving me this opportunity to have the divine developed inside of me, they take a step back. They recoil. They realize that their plot and their ploy has been ineffective in distracting or dissuading you from getting the divine inside of you. The glory of God is sitting on my shoulders. I have access to heavenly power to just smile right now in the name of Jesus. When you begin to do this, I want to encourage you with something. Time is irrelevant. It goes by and you don't even notice. A flat tire occurs. It's somewhere around 530 in the morning as you're trying to travel from one point to another. You begin to rejoice. You put a big smile on your face. Thank you, mighty God. I don't even have tools to change this thing. But you're going to have a divine display or the divine development of something inside of me that I'm not aware of yet. But praise God, this is the opportunity for it to come to the surface. And one thing connects to another, God's divine provision inside of you and for the flat tire. And before you know it, You're back on the road, and it's as if you just took a slight pause at a convenience store to grab some snacks and use the bathroom. Time is irrelevant whenever you are able to display joy in the midst of difficulties. Well, if you dwell in difficulties without joy, doesn't it slow time down? I mean, you're you're looking at every microsecond and just woefully drowning in the next one. But we begin to turn that tide and see God's provision even to the point where we don't recognize how long it's taking to get there. Come on now. So here's the point. Events in your life, difficulties in your life won't change, but we must. We have the ability to submit our souls to the one who can save us even from death and have the divine worked inside of us. Come on, let's put up the next slide. We're going to move through Matthew 24. It says this. When you're looking at verses 4 through 8, Jesus says, these are the signs, and there happens to be seven. These are the beginning of birth pains. I'm sure that's just a random number that Jesus picked while he was speaking. False messiahs, wars, rumors of wars, all the way down through famines and earthquakes. You know what these are doing? Jesus is saying, this is the beginning of birth pains. This is the beginning. You're always going to have false messiahs rising up. We're just telling you that when this happens, you need to start paying attention. You're always going to have wars. The history of man has been filled with wars, rumors of wars. 
We are sure that the U.S. will go into a war with North Korea. That was the last rumor of war. That was a year ago. There's rumors of wars all the time. But you know what Jesus is saying? Hey, these are the circumstances where you've got to, he's beginning to demand the display of joy while this is going on. Hey, it's time for this baby to be born. There's, there's something that's going on. These are the beginning of birthing pains. Almost like Braxton Hicks contractions. Come on, mamas. Those Braxton Hicks. If you're a first-time mom, the first time you get a Braxton Hicks, you're like, oh, God, this is it. <sighs> oh, we've got to go to the hospital right now. By the time you're somebody like Joy Rezor that's had 100 kids, she's like, that's just a Braxton Hicks. Whatever. That ain't the real thing. I'm going to go eat some bonbons now. I'm going to go put my feet up. I might go take a nap because this ain't it. This is just the beginning of the birthing process. This is no time for lamenting. When you see these things, this is the beginning of birth pains. It's no time to put your head down or run for the hills and get scared. He's saying, yeah, you might need a, it might be a time for a Lamaze class. You, you might need to get your breathing right. That's all that you got to go do. Come on, you, you dads have been through some of those classes before. No, you haven't? But you at least heard about it, right? <laughs> By the time that the baby is arriving, it's not, it's, not, it's not the right time to begin to practice to breathe right. <laughs> See, what we're doing in this house is that we are learning how to exhale our problems before God and inhale the Holy Ghost. To have the Ruach HaKodesh breathe his life inside of us in the midst of difficulties. No longer lament, but we're going to have Holy Ghost Lamaz. Come on, we're able to lift up and raise a hallelujah and declare to the heavenly realms that God's power is superior to my difficulties. See, it's not as if Israel didn't have birth pains. They did. The temple was destroyed. Yes, that's true. But it wasn't the birth of the kingdom to come. See, difficulties uh, that were showing contractions, showing the presence of birth pains, were difficulties that would develop the divine inside of his people. These birth pains, it should bring to mind Isaiah 26, 17 through 18, that you're going to have pregnant women in birth pains, writhing in labor during this time, giving birth to the wind, don't even bring salvation to the earth, but that's not where it ends. This salvation will come to Jerusalem. God will save his people, but they have to go through this difficulty to develop the divine. Let's look at the next slide so we can get and see what verses 9 through 14 hold for us. These are trials that are listed, travails that are listed, because we understand that trials aren't tragedy. They are the very fact of transformation inside of us. Amen. Look at these travails that are there. Persecuted, put to death, hated by all nations, many turning away, many betraying and hating, false prophets, and the love of most growing cold. These are the travails that we must go through. These are the trials that must be there. Church, we're not running away from these. No. no. We're not just enduring these. We're going to endure these with joy, with displays of joy that understand and show that the divine is being developed in us. Think with me for a second. So let's say that we're in the kingdom to come. And you pull up a chair and you sit down next to Ezekiel. 
I mean, the prophet Ezekiel, not just Pastor Ezekiel Lamb. That would be good too. That'd be pretty holy and honorable as well. You sit, you sit next to the prophet Ezekiel. How about you sit next to the, the weeping prophet Jeremiah and you're sitting there and you're going, hey, so how'd you get here? Tell me your testimony. <laughs> well, Jeremiah, I know that there were birthing pains in the earth. Let me tell you about my travails. One time someone at the office place looked at me funny. They didn't invite me to lunch. They didn't invite me to lunch. Those were my difficulties. I do not want to sit before these men. I do not want to sit before the men of Hebrews 11 and be like, yeah, my testimony is kind of lame compared to yours. I had no real travails. I had no real troubles as what was seeing here. See, but the good news. Somebody want some good news here? Good news. Good news is, is that you and I are going to have these things. Yes. You and I are going to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Amen. This should bring joy to your heart, not trepidation, not some type of escapism that you want to get away from these things. I actually want the signs. I actually want the marks. I actually want the evidence that I belong in eternity with men like this. How am I going to do that? Going through the same travails that they had to. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying there are going to be marks that need to come upon you. You're going to have to have these kind of marks, but you should have an overwhelming display of joy that's there. All saints, when I see this list, I long to have these things. I long for the marks of Christ to be upon my body. They are signs and are being armed with evidence that I belong in eternity, that I can stand confidently with that cloud of witnesses. This is also exactly what you see in the birth process. Come on, ladies, those stretch marks that you have, those marks on your body, they are a testimony of going through difficulty because you were producing the divine. Oh, no more, no more tattoos on the, the back that become a whale tail. Instead, we're looking for stretch marks of righteousness. We're looking for the, the bearing on our bodies, the evidence that we have given birth to the divine. Come on, get it. You know what I'm talking about. I'm looking forward to this. You know what? It's, it's not just you ladies that have stretch marks. I'll show you mine. There may be like a sensor, you know, that would show up as I do that. <laughs> Pastors have stretch marks. It's oh, true. come on, man. We're tasked with bringing forth life. You know, I got a stretch mark right here. It's got Daniel Cho written on it. Come on. I got a stretch mark from right here to the top of my neck that says Nolan Hewitt. Oh, oh that's true. And one that's on the true. outside of my thighs that says David Bonham and Andrew Hayes. This is my joy to be able to do. Because the divine is being developed in both them and us. And look, I'm being serious, ladies. Rejoice over the fact that you have participated with the call of Eve and becoming a mother of the living. Come on now. That's a good word for us today, isn't it? Our world wants to get rid of any marks of evidence. We want to sell you lotions and potions, ladies, to cover up the very sign that you are functioning the way God put you on the planet to function. That's exactly right. Hide those things. Don't hide those. 
Come on now, what is the point? The point is that life is being produced and it's gotta have a display of joy on the inside of us. When you're trying to escape from the signs of life, when you're trying to escape from the difficulties, your escape is gonna eviscerate the evidence that actually should be yours and give you joy. You cannot escape from this, and you shouldn't want to. You should want to have a display of joy because of what it's developing in you. It's developing the divine in you. Come on now. Somebody say amen. Amen. Look at the next slide. We're going to summarize the next passage of Scripture. Jesus is teaching these things. He's showing them to celebrate the stretch marks that come from giving life. Then he begins to refer to Daniel's abomination. He wants the reader to understand that it's now go time. It's time to bring forth life. Come on, ladies. Y'all know what this is like. Families, if you've been through having kids, there's something different when it's like, oh, no, it's now. We're no more than the Braxton Hicks. We've actually entered into the travail of real labor. We're starting to see things move. We're starting to see the contractions of what God is doing, that life may be birthed. It's go time. It's time to bring forth. Then he starts talking about the unequal difficulty. It's unequal difficulty because it produces an unequal development of the divine. Think about the birthing process. Ladies, right before the victory is when more often than not women say, yeah, I can't go on. This is too difficult. It's too much. I got to stop. No, you can't stop. No, now is not the time, but you feel like you're going to die. It's almost like there's an unequaled amount of difficulty in your life, an unequaled amount of, dif- of, of difficulty in your body, but that's because there's about to be life that is birthed. Amen. You are waiting to be delivered at that moment. You want to be delivered at that moment. You want, but you're not escaping. See, that's the difference. You're on a joyous delivery. Look at verses 23 through 28. Somebody say crowning achievement. Oh, I see what you did there. Hmm. All right. Touche. Touche, Pastor Matt. Well done. Crowning achievement. By the way, this is the crowning achievement of all of creation. This is the crowning achievement. By the way, false labor is kind of easy to detect. Pastor, not sure that you understand. I mean, this can trick a lot of people. No, no, no. False labor is easy to detect. How, can you, how do you know? Well, did the birth come or not? Right. Did it happen or not? If it didn't happen, then it wasn't real. It was a false labor. This is easy to tell. Has the king arrived in a manner that's been visible to all? Not yet, but he will. Like lightning is visible from the east to the west, so will it be. So will his coming be. Let's, look at all, let's all look at Matthew 24 and verse 29 together so we can read this together. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Oh, this is the labor and delivery room, right? The lights go down, moon not give its light, the heavenly bodies are being shaken, life is coming Fourth, and it's right here at the precipice. You, you got to think about this like they're setting the stage. The lights in the house go down. The spotlight is about to come on. And there's a drum roll. Y'all give us a drum roll, please. Come on, drum roll. 
Come on, a little bit louder. A little bit louder. Verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. There's an anticipation. It's no longer about the difficulty. It never has been. It's about developing the divine of what will yet be. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. With power and great glory. And he will send his angels, charge nurses, with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather all the family members, the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the heaven to the other. See, we have this ability to rejoice in us because there is the completion of the appearing of the king. And everything will be made complete. Those that are righteous will be rewarded. And those that are rejected and will receive the just reward of judgment for them. Everything is made whole. But the whole point of that we're looking at this is that you know whenever a baby arrives, the mother and father get to, to spend some time with it. And then the whole family wants to pack inside of that room and rejoice about what just developed. Yeah, y'all should see how many people end up being in a room for Hannah giving birth whole village for Sam giving birth. This is it. what happens. It's joyous. The baby's here. Yes. Everybody come see the baby. Our whole family needs to come in. COVID or not, y'all come on in. <laughs> see, this is what's happening here. Think through. We're not going to go through. We're going we're gonna to work towards a close here. Think about Romans, speaking of the creation, longing, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. It's like it's going through the birth of a child. The creation is longing. You think through Thessalonians, you think through Corinthians. The entire Bible is giving you the same story. It's saying that there's a birth, there's life that has to come forth, but it only comes forth through travailing. But you don't stay travailing and wailing. You get up and you display joy because of the life that's Amen. being produced. You not only welcome the difficulties, you display your joy because of what they're developing in you. Come on, let's look at, now this is what Jesus does. We're going to wrap up in chapter 24 and all the way through chapter 25 with one slide. Yeah, are y'all with us? One slide. Jesus has been talking and, and making sure that they understand what's going to happen. Jesus, tell us, what is it like? Explain the birthing process to us. What is it going to be? When's the due date? What is the labor going to be like? What is the delivery going to be like? And Jesus just did it all. He just showed them every part of this. And now he's going to show them what they must take from this information. Yeah. Oh, it's almost like Jesus knows exactly what we need. Yeah. We're not going to look at these. We're going to go start in, verse, in chapter 24, and we're going to go through the end of 25 in a single slide. Because this is what Jesus did. We've taken these things out of context and tried to pull out little stories, but he is telling them in light of the greatness of his coming, of his second appearing, that is worldwide and it's obvious, nothing hidden, nothing to be left behind, only a display of his greatness, just like the birthing of a child. Everyone sees it. What he's going to do here is to help them. Let's put the slide on the screen. The fig tree. This is not the parable, uh, the story rather, of Jesus cursing the fig tree because it wasn't producing fruit. This is the Matthew 24 
verse 32 account where he's saying when you see a fig tree and the leaves start coming out, you know that summer is near. So what is Jesus doing? He's explained to them all the information that they needed, and now he wants to move on their heart and make sure that they are responding rightly to everything that he said. He said, I want you to be able to discern the sign of the times. I want you to be able to get, when you see the tree starting to blossom with leaves, you know that summer is near. You may not know the exact date, but you know that we're getting close to the things that are, give, that are supposed to be there. And what does he do in us? He says, I want that to give you joy that my words will never pass away. Yeah. What I've just told you is going to happen. You can bank on it. So what should that do in you? It should allow you to display joy. It gives us the joy that the divine is going to be developed in us through these difficulties. We can see it just like you could see leaves on a tree. What a good savior we have to make sure that, he, that we are getting the joyous amount of understanding that he's trying to give us here. With the next lesson of the days of Noah, he's given them a very clear indicator of what to see of what will be. Look, look for, the, look for these signs. Look for this exact parallel. Because the end goal of the days of Noah is the salvation for all the earth. See, we're not called to just grin and bear it. Not to just endure it. But imagine what it was like whenever the, the water broke. When the floods came. <laughs> And salvation was now there available for Noah and all of his family. He'd been working on this ark for 100 years. And now he is validated. Now he can re re continue to rejoice through all the difficulties, all the persecution, everything that he had built. Because he knows it is going to result in salvation and developing the divine. Church, the next lesson that we learn from this passage is to keep watch. Somebody say keep watch. There's a joy that you should find in becoming ready for what's going to happen. There's a joy that you should have in being ready. Now is not the time to let your guard down. Yeah. Now is not the time to be distracted. When it's go time, when it's birthing time, is not the time for you to pick up your hammer and fix those four honeydew projects that you never got to, fellas. That's not the time. Because you've got to focus on what is being birthed inside of your world. You've got to focus on this. You've got to be ready at that point. Just as you would keep watch if you knew a thief were coming in the night. Coming to steal from you. So too you must keep watch about the birthing that has taken place. Church, I want to encourage you real quick. There's a birthing that's going on. There's new life that God is bringing. Some of you are under extreme travail right now. Some of your families are fighting amongst yourselves with other people. There's something that's happening on the inside of us. Look at me. It's time to display joy because the difficulties you're going through are developing something divine Amen. in you. Amen. It's time to put joy in your heart that will radiate from your being because it is just God getting you ready. It's time for us to get ready, and that brings joy. He's saying keep watch because this is a season that our church is in. Yeah. Keep watch. Be faithful at this, and you're going to see my deliverance be brought to you and enjoy the process. Mm. The next lesson he gives that we can focus on is the faithful and wise servant, giving them the target of what to accomplish in, with joy. That this person was given charge of just a little to feed the other servants. 
But then because of their faithfulness and their wisdom and fear of God, they were entrusted with all of the master's possessions. Come on, that faithfulness that develops over the term of a pregnancy, you then result with being entrusted with the care of a human life. Come on, that feeling of having your child in your arms for the first time, and you look and you see, this is just the beginning. But it was because of the faithfulness of being diligent with joy, demanding that we display joy during the pregnancy, that we now have this baby in our arms. And we're looking forward to 18 years of developing them, the, uh, the divinity inside of them, just like it's been developed inside of us. See, Jesus is laying out one lesson after another because he wants to make sure that his disciples get it, that they see the overall outcome by having the divine developed inside of them. Take a look at the lessons learned in chapter 25. These, I want to encourage you just for a second as we begin to, to cover these three, these last three. You think you know these. They've been cannibalized many times in Christianity. First of all, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Okay? You should take the entire book of Matthew as to those who are either in the kingdom or think they're in the kingdom. If you start reading these parables as saved and unsaved, the virgins, well, the five wise saved, the five unwise not saved. All ten of them believe that they are. All ten of them have been invited to a wedding. They are the virgins that are about to marry the groom. All of them. But there's a faithful joyous way to engage with this, and there's something that's not. Think about the virgins. I want you to think about the five wise virgins. I want you to think about who we are becoming in this house. I want you to understand, what did they have? They had a fullness of oil that they had with them. They were full of joy. They were full of the oil of the Holy Spirit that gave them joy. These are not just people enduring the waiting game for the groom. Hey, what, what's going on? Well, I've been betrothed to the groom. They're full of joy. How are they showing their joy? They're making themselves ready. They're staying ready. They're looking for him. They're waiting for the call. They're waiting for this. Just like in the birthing process, you're not going to just suffer through it. You're going to enjoy what's going on, and you're going to enjoy the life that will be produced, even if you can't see it fully yet. What happens in this story? They say, here comes the groom. Come out to meet him. Come on, in that birthing process, here's the baby. Everyone come meet him. Life has been, life has been brought forth. There's something about the joy and the arrival of what God is doing. Joy and his arrival into your situation that Jesus is presenting to his disciples here. The next one is a very important one. I want you to think about the ones who had talents that multiplied them that had an investment, right? They didn't wait until the master returned to begin to get an investment. They were daily, incrementally, getting a, a developing a dividend of what they've been entrusted with. But you, you know those the pictures that all the pregnant moms do? That's the first one whenever they find out they're pregnant. You know, they stand to the side, flat tummy. Then the next picture, it's a little baby bump, and then all the way through. Well, in the same way, what God is developing inside of us is life, and there is this incremental daily growth that's happening. 
When as your pastors, we can see, we can look into your lives and say, you know what? You are not the same person today that you were a year ago. We see the investment of the kingdom at work within you. We see the joy that is rising in the midst of difficulty because it's developing the divine. And what happens when you have that dividend ready for the master? You long, you await his arrival with joy. I can't wait till my master returns. I got something for him. I've been developing this all my life, and I want to lay it right at his feet. See, when we see these lessons in their right light, it can give us joy. It can give us hope to be on the side of rejoicing in the midst of difficulties. Come on, let's do it again. Everybody put a smile on your face. Put both hands up. Begin to rejoice in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's learn about the last one. Church, has anybody had difficulties this year? Can anybody in this house realize about yourself that you are further along and closer to the Lord now than you were a year ago? Two years ago? Five years ago? Then we must display joy. This is what Jesus does. Look at, look at, we're going to read this together in Matthew chapter 25. The sheep and the goats. This is the lesson that he's, lear- he's wanting his disciples to learn here. Matthew 25 and verse 34. It says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. How have they been blessed? Because they've endured the birthing pains. They've endured the travails because it transformed them. They are displaying joy. Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your golden gorale and enjoy. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. See, just like those who are faithful to the Lord, they're going to take what he gives and immediately begin an incremental daily dividend. They're going to develop that within them. Jesus has done the same thing. He said, I've been working on this for a long time. You may not always be able to see the progress that you're making in the moment because it's small, but you're taking steps forward. I've prepared this for you since before creation started. It's always been my desire to gather you. To, to hover over you, to pull you close so that you could produce life. Yeah. What is the rest of this passage? He says, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When, when I was in prison, you visited me. They said, when did we do that? We didn't see that happen. We didn't even know. When did that happen? He said, when you did it for the least of these. I'm going to encourage you with something. I'm going to encourage you with something here today, church. That when you display joy in the difficulties, you're not even thinking about the difficulties anymore. That's exactly right. You're going, yeah, before I couldn't have even handled this. I couldn't. I do more now in a day as a pastor than I did six and a half years before I got here, more than I could accomplish in a month. Why? Because I've been around the Spirit of God and men who helped me, and I just realized this growth is there. This, this, the difficulties that I once thought were difficult, I handled those before breakfast in the morning. <laughs> the thing that would ruin me for days and days at a time, I'm like, yeah, that's no problem at all. I think the disciples are sitting there, or these people here that Jesus is speaking about, and they're going, we had so much fun through the difficulties, we weren't even counting it. We didn't even pay attention to the, we were so enjoying going to the prison and visiting, so enjoying being your very arms and hands and feet here on this world, we didn't count it as difficulty at all. We didn't even realize we did it. 
We didn't even know because we just stayed filled with joy and we accomplished something that we had no idea we were even doing, much less winning at. Church, this is the call for us today. Turn with us to our final passage as we close in John 16. Say developing the divine when you get there. Let's start at verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Well, Jesus is stating it plainly. There's a reality to the presence of difficulties, but the greater reality is our ability to rejoice in those difficulties. And like Pastor just said, to the point where we don't even recognize their difficulties at all, that we see them as this is a divine moment, and it demands that we display joy. The experienced mothers, you've gone through the birthing process many times. You're able to look at a new mother and with a big smile say, baby, This is a beautiful thing. This is the ability to rejoice in the life that's being birthed inside of you. Your pastors look at you. We see the trials. We see all the struggles, and we see them as a means of triumph. We're watching Christ being formed inside of you. Yeah, you're struggling, but you know what? You're winning. This sign says, I want to win. You know how you win? With joy, with rejoicing. What LCM is very good at is enduring. We're going to go to the next level as a Come church. On now. We're going to rejoice in the midst of difficulties. Yeah. We're going to let the world and the heavenly realms know that our trust is in the living God and make them just marvel at the fact that we don't see them as difficulties at all. We're going to smile with the power of the Holy Ghost. We're going to rejoice and watch. Watch the divine be displayed through you. Watch people watch your life. And they go, I want what you have. I can't do what you do. And you look at them and you say, yes, you can. Hold up your hands, surrender your life to Jesus, and get filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on now. Let's, let's look at this last slide and leave, let's leave the last slide on the screen while we finish. Difficulties demand the display of joy because of what they develop in you. We're going to keep reading in John chapter 16. Let's look at verse 22 together. So with you. So with you. Just like the mother who's birthed a child, so with you. Now may be your time of grief. (laughs) Now may be your time of difficulty, what other people would call grief, but I will see you again. So you're saying there's a chance. Yes, you will see me again. And you will rejoice. Listen to this phrase. And no one will take away your joy. What would it be like for this church to be filled with people who no one can take away their joy? No one can cause them to be in in the mully groves because of difficulty. When no one has their joy stolen, not even by themselves. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Some of you don't have the right joy because you just haven't asked him about it. He says, ask and you will receive. 
See, you thought that was about financial blessing. You thought that was about something that you needed. Oh, I will ask and receive. Listen to verse 24 again. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Church, listen to me. Ask and you will receive. And your joy will be made complete. (laughs) You mean this isn't about financial blessing? No. Ask and you will receive. So your joy can be made complete. So that you understand that you will display joy. Why? Maybe you don't have it because you haven't asked for it. But we're going to fix that right now. Stand to your feet. What are we going to do, church? Come on, what are we going to do, church? Come on, raise up your hands right now. Lift up your heads. Begin to ask the Father of heaven to fill you with his joy, that overwhelming of rejoicing. Mighty God, we thank you for your ability inside of us to supernaturally rejoice. Lord, we thank you for our difficulties in developing the divine. Lord, we raise up a a hallelujah right now. We rejoice in the name of Jesus. Let us shout, fill this house, mighty God.